Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. We have been in a series going through the letters of John. So far, we have carried all the way through the first letter of John. Um, So if you go in your Bible, uh, if you're not familiar with it, all the way over to Revelation, you back up just a little bit, and you have these three short letters that the Apostle John wrote to the early church. John, at this point, he's somewhere probably in his 80s. He had walked and had a close, intimate relationship with the person walking around earth of Jesus Christ. Yes, we all have a a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that Jesus is my friend, but I I have yet to have like a face-to-face sit-down conversation with him while we share some fish and chips or something like that, right? And that was John. This was the relationship that he got to have with Jesus. And now as an 80-year-old, he's encouraging the church, writing to them, asking them to to hold true to some things. And now as we finished uh, the first letter last week, what we come to now is we're gonna do all of the second letter today. How many of y'all have read ahead? You've done your homework? Just raise your hand. Okay. Oh, six of you. That's encouraging. So <laughs> these letters are in your Bible all the time. I would encourage you to read them sometime. That'd be good. It'd be good for all of us, right? Here's, here's what I realized Monday this week. I already had the series all outlined, kind of knew who was preaching where, what we were preaching on. And then I, I reread 2 John Monday morning. First thing, I sat down, cup of coffee, Bible open. Well, it was on my phone, actually, so I don't, you know. It wasn't like this, it was like this. Um, and I reread Second John, and you know what I thought to myself? John is saying nothing new that we haven't said in the last five weeks. <laughs> right? Those of you who have read, you know, like, he just is, he's re-articulating the same arguments over and over again. That's, that's what he does, and that's what we've been saying this whole time, is that he is just kind of going in this non-linear way through different arguments. And so what John's going to say again in 2 John, the whole letter, it fits, on my Bible, it fits on one half of one page. 3 John will be next week. It fits on the back half of that page. So I'd encourage you, read both of these this next week. But what we see here is that John, John has a way of loving the church in a tough way, in a gentle way, but in a loving way. I, I would say that John is a master of tough love. Have you ever had anyone in your life that is a master of tough love? I think back to one of my high school PE teachers, Coach Swayze. How many of y'all, you've been around loving for a little while. Steve Swayze, been your teacher, right? He would not hesitate to bring you into the health office after the mile run or after the sit and reach. That was the one that I always like, you know, I still can't reach my toes. You know what I mean? Probably, I never will. That's okay. Um, he'd sit you down and he'd have a way of going, this way that you're living your life is going to yield about these certain things. And I'm just inviting you right now to consider the kind of man, the kind of woman you want to be, and he'd invite some sort of change into your heart right there in high school. And I I can't even tell you the amount of times in PE or net sport, I did a lot of those kinds of classes if you're not kind of picking up what I'm putting down on a regular basis. But like, I wasn't trying to get into all all the biology and AP classes. I was like, how about net sports, please? Thank you. Okay. The amount of kids I walked, watched walk out of his office time after time again would just be crying. But then later on, they'd point back to say, that was, that was one of the more helpful moments in my life, right? Tough love is a gift. It is a needed thing in the world we're living in today. Unable to speak something truly, plainly, honestly, but to do it in a way where we see people, we love them, we have compassion, we honor them as people, that is an art. And John has that art and he is gifted at it. Because what he's done time and time again through these letters is he's gone, hey, if you say that you don't sin, you're deceiving yourself and the way of God is not in you. Like, Wow, that's tough, isn't it? But it's loving because he cares about your soul. And he's always writing, hey, little children, I want to remind you 
If you, if you say that you love God, but you hate your brother, then the love of God is not in you. And maybe even throughout this series, there have been some kind of jarring moments as you've gone through this going like, oh my gosh, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my life? And I think that is still the healthy love that John is delivering where he's caring about us enough to say the hard things, but he's doing it in a way and with a tone where we, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that John cares for our souls. Like you can just feel his disposition coming through as he's writing and he's saying, dear ones, little children, my beloved, the care and the tone comes through so clearly. And so today, all I really wanna do is I wanna walk through John's tough love. I wanna look at how he does some of the things he does. And I wanna ask if we can model that together as a community, right? So the first thing that you're gonna read if you open up 2 John is something that is a little confusing, if we can be honest. I don't know if you've read it yet. 2 John, starting in verse one, let's read the first two verses. It says, the elder, referring to himself, John, John the elder, and, and there are some scholars, some commentaries who actually don't know if this is coming from the apostle John because he never actually signs it with his own name. He never takes credit for this letter. And so that's something that's just out there. I, I believe, and a lot of scholars believe, that this is the apostle John writing this letter, but he says, the elder writing to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. Now, how many of y'all, you read that and you're just like, that's different. I got the elder writing to the elect lady. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. The elect lady, who is she? Depending on what commentary you read, some commentaries are gonna say it is an early matriarch in the early church. She's a widow or she's somebody who's opening up her home to provide space and to lead a house church that's going on in the region of Ephesus. That's how some people will interpret that. Other people will say, no, John is actually personifying the church. He's talking about the church and he's trying to put language to the church. And he's trying to say, just like the church is the bride of Christ, he's saying this elect lady, he's writing to the church. Personally, I probably lean towards, he's writing to one of the early matriarchs. That's what earliest commentaries indicate. And it's later commentaries, later people who have studied it would say it's the other. Here's the point though. I don't really care what you think or what I think because as Alistair Begg always says, the Scottish pastor, right? He says, the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. And so why did I bring all that up in the first two verses? Just to say, they're not the main point of this. And I think we as Christians all the time, we can drive off into the weeds, into the ditch on verses that aren't the main passage of what is being communicated in the text. And so is it okay to do some research there? Absolutely but let's not fight over them. Let's not have disdain in our hearts over each other. Like, let's not try to obsess about what, who is this elect lady and who is he talking to? Let's rather go verse three. Verse three is the main point of this whole thing. Verse three says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. In truth and love. The next section of the Bible, the next section of the, the letter that we're going into is just how to walk in truth and love. What John is indicating here, what he's, what he's allowing us space to be kind of invited into is to consider the fact that truth and love are not at odds with one another. And if I can be totally honest, I think it's maybe my personality. How many of y'all are just kind of non-confrontational just in your nature? Yeah, you're too scared to raise your hand. I understand, but... Um, <laughs> Like that's probably just my wiring, right? I just, I don't love confrontation. And so at times I can feel like truth and love are at odds. Now, how many of you, you're completely confrontational. You're like, oh yeah, let's just get in there. Conflict is intimacy, let's just do it, right? And I would say, you're probably mean, honestly, <laughs> you know? Like you probably just like run into conflict a little too quickly and you charge in a little too fast and you, there's, there might be a little wake of damage in, in your history, if I could guess, 
Am I lying? All right, here's what it is. I feel like sometimes truth and love are at war. I have friends in my life where I need to say something and it's hard things. Or I have people that I love and people I care about and they're not walking in a way that is obedient to the Lord. They're not walking in a way that's gonna yield life in their life. Like, and I, I wanna go, I wanna point these things out, but sometimes it can feel like, right, am I alone in this? It feels like if I'm pointing out that truth, it's like this unloving thing to do. Like, how come I can't just let them be happy? That is certainly the mantra of the day. If we start to criticize or doubt or question somebody else's way of living, we are automatically against them as a person. And so I think the world we live in, I think even in our hearts, there is kind of this, unless you just run to conflict, a, a lot of us, and honestly, I think if you run to conflict, I do think that's a gift. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying my natural tendency is to go, oh, I don't want to say that thing because it's going to hurt them. It's not, it's not going to feel good right away, right? And so it feels like truth and love are at war, but the Bible shows us that together they actually bring peace and joy. So just like my high school PE uh, teacher would actually deliver these really hard truths and he'd package them in a way where he'd really show compassion and care towards the individual, like that hard truth was something that actually brought peace and it brought greater joy into their life. And it maybe didn't happen right away. That's the thing about uh, harsh love or true love. Um, it, it, it really doesn't maybe feel good in the moment, but later it yields something in you. I, I've been watching on Instagram. I'm somehow on the algorithms, got me on Dave Ramsey uh, Reels. Anyone, anyone like know who Dave Ramsey is, right? We, like the total money makeover guy, right? Financial peace. Uh, you listen to some of his stuff on Instagram. That, that dude is brutally honest, isn't he? You know, somebody calls in, they're like, well, I got $180,000 in debt and, you know, I have an income of like $30,000 a year. And Dave's like, okay, what kind of moron got themselves in $180,000 in debt? And I'm just listening to this, you know, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, he's so mean, you know? And he's just like, well, that was stupid, wasn't it? Was it? And he's got this like Tennessee thing going on. He's just like, well, how dumb do you think you gotta be to get into $180,000 in debt when you only got $30,000 and you're 58 years old? How are you ever gonna get out of this? You know, and it's just, it's shocking to me, Right? But you know what also Dave Ramsey's really good at? Getting people out of debt. Helping people get their finances in order. If, if, if your finances are not where you want them to be and we do financial peace sometimes, I hope, like, I hope you'll sign up because he will help you. But he's not gonna do it in a way that says like, listen, hey, it's, it's not that big of a deal, right? Like, okay, this debt, like all the stuff that you're spending and all these credit card bills, he, like, he, doesn't, he doesn't come at it with timidity. He attacks it. He attacks the problem. But he almost always on his show comes back to like, well, let's talk about why you're spending the way that you're spending. And all of a sudden, he's starting to see the person and he's starting to see the pain. And he's starting to realize that personal finance is really just behavior driven by some sort of belief or some sort of wound that's down in you. And he starts to drive at that, right? I think about the, uh, Katie and I, for our second born, we had, a, we had a home birth, right? So that just weirded like half of you out. The other half of you think I'm awesome now all of a sudden, right? That's just kind of the way it goes. We were doing alternative medicine before it was trendy and cool, right? Uh, so we, we hired this midwife to come and help. And she, like her bedside manner, I'll tell you this right now, horrible, horrible. Like she was not kind. Like she, it, she's kind enough. I should like, maybe one day she'll like come to the church. And so I should really be timid about this. But like you would like ask her questions and she would just give things to you bluntly. But I didn't care. You know why? Because she was an expert. And I was like, I don't, I don't need you to be friendly right now. I'm hiring someone to do a really good job because <laughs> I care a lot about what's gonna happen. Does that make sense? Like we want people to be able to give us the truth, give us the truth, but we also wanna be able to do it in a way that's loving. And John does this time and time again. Because look, I'll say it this way. Truth without love, you already know this, okay? You already know this, but truth without love is mean. It is, it's mean. 
Paul writes it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, think, think about that phrase for just a second before I go on. If I have all prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all the faith so that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, what does he say? Well, I'm kind of awesome, but I have this one defect. No, he says you're nothing. If you're delivering the truth time and time again without love, you're just mean. I'm nothing, he says. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. Like some of y'all, you've convinced yourselves that just by saying the right thing, by being theologically right, or having the correct outcome in an argument, you think that you're winning, but if you're not loving, you're losing. And that's just true. You have to be able to see the person, the human, the human being that's sitting across the table from you. Uh, like, you can be theologically correct and a jerk. Do you know that? The goal is not to be right all the time. The goal is to be able to deliver something that is true while also still maintaining a good working relationship with the person. But on the flip side of that very same coin, that truth without love is mean, this is also true. Love without truth is dangerous. And this is like, listen, this is the cultural air that we live in today. It's like, hey, just, just love people. Just be kind. Just accept. Just affirm. All of these kinds of things are all just pointing at just love. It's all just love. Just love each other, baby. But if you deliver love without truth, I'd say it's dangerous. Second Timothy warns of this. Warns of this time that we're living in today. He says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have these itching ears and they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So if you, if you just want to be loved, if you just want to hear good things, if you just want to hear the reinforcement of what's already going on in your brain, people will tell you today. People will give you all of that love. But I, like, I don't just need friends in my life to tell me all the good things about me. I need friends in my life who are willing to cut me down when I'm doing something wrong. And you have to invite that. I think it is a sign of maturity as a believer to go out of your way to, to go to your friend group, go to the people you trust the most, and say, hey, don't just love me in a way that you just tell me all the good things that are going on in my life. Love me enough to say the true things that need to be said, even if I'm doing something wrong. Because if I wander into this space where I have all this love, but no one's ever giving me truth, if you wander into this space where all you have is love and no one's ever giving you truth, you are driving yourself to somewhere dangerous. That's, I mean, that's what's happening all over this letter in the, in the letters of John. He's saying there are, there are those among you that have the spirit of the Antichrist in them. And he's drawing many of you led astray. In fact, many have already gone. And he's trying to say, hey, I need you to hold fast to the teaching of Jesus, to the person of Jesus, to the Christ of Jesus. Hold on to him. Keep going. Remain in him. This abiding language is what he's saying. And he's saying, hey, I, I love you enough to tell you that that is what is true. And so I want to see you continue on this path of following in a relationship with Jesus. That, that, that has been what he's walking us through the entire time. It's no different in what he talks about in the next verses of this book. He's saying, hey, remain in Jesus. He, he doesn't start writing them. And he doesn't go like, hey, you bunch of morons. Listen, um, knuckleheads, I'm just tired of you not listening to the things that are true. No, he doesn't write with that kind of angry or mean tone. What he writes with is this beloved, dear ones, children, 
Listen, don't be blown about by this wind of doctrine that's coming about. Hold your ground. Stand firm. But he also doesn't just write and say, hey, it's not really that big of a deal. Like, I just love you so much. Children, sweeties, oh, come here. Like, it's just, oh, it's good. It's no, nothing, no, sh- oh, no, 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 no. There's no false teaching out there. Don't worry about it. No, he, do you see how he does both? He brings them in. He hugs them. He loves them. He affirms them. But he also says, now stand your ground. And if you say this, but you're actually living like this, then the truth of God is not in you. And you're not following after the way of Jesus. Truth and love walking in tandem together, which makes me ask the question for today, how do we authentically love people while speaking truth? Honestly, I think this is probably the billion dollar question for the Christian today in 2023. How do we stand on something that's true while not walking around just, you know, it'd be easy to try to just thump somebody with this Bible and hope they just get some of the words out of it stuck into their head, right? That's, that's not how it works. That's not how it goes. The goal is to be able to say something in a way, preserve the relationship, maintain some sort of friendship or some sort of trust there, but also to say things that are true and say things that are right because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I know you all know that, but that, it's just this reminder. Jesus is the right way. Jesus is the truth. And that's gonna offend people and it's not gonna feel loving, but if we're going to be loving as Christians, we have to deliver real truth, amen? So how do we authentically love people while speaking the truth? I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to see the world through the other person's eyes. This is something that John is doing consistently as he's writing the early church. He's seeing the world, not, he's not just looking with his own paradigm in mind, but he's considering the church there. He's considering the young group of believers and he's writing as if he understands exactly what it is they're going through. So he's, he, you can tell he's internally trying to see the problem that they're facing and they're tackling. He writes this. If we go to verse, verse four and five, he says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of the chi- your children walking in the truth. He's like, I'm looking at the situation you're dealing with and I'm rejoicing because some people are walking in the truth just as you were commanded by the father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. John's not playing this like positional game where he's like, hey, listen, I walked with Jesus. I talked with Jesus. So do these things that I'm calling you to do. No, he's saying, look, I know the teachings that you're hearing. I, I see this problem that you're facing. He, he's, he's compassionately and empathetically relating to the church when he writes this way. And so it should be when we have tough news or tough truth to deliver to somebody that we love, we have to try to see the world through their eyes first while continuing to stand on what is true. It, as soon as you do that, you start to elicit in your heart compassion for how they lived. So it's not just, oh my gosh, you struggle with such uh, sexual brokenness. It's, oh my gosh, look at the backstory that happened in your life. Look at how they treated you. Look at what they did to you. And now all of a sudden, as I do that, I'm, I'm not just talking to a person that's sitting out in front of me and I'm not just making an object out of an argument, but what I'm doing is I'm seeing the humanity that's sitting across from me. And that's when I can begin to say things that are true, but I can do things in a loving, kind way. The second thing that, Paul, or that John does well is he, he doesn't just make the person or the false teachers the problem, but rather he works to see the lie that has been believed. Okay, let's look at this in verse seven. It says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Then he says, that's the problem. So watch yourself 
so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but, ha- but may we win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So again, standing firm on the truth. But notice how John does not see the Antichrist as the problem that's sitting in between himself and the church, but rather he sees himself side by side with the church looking at the problem of the Antichrist. This is massive. Katie and I, I feel like we go through this every time we, pre-mar- we go through premarital counseling with a couple. One of the things that will ruin your marriage pretty quickly, will at least steal all the joy and happiness out of your marriage, is if you consistently put problems in between you and your spouse. If the problem and the money is here and you're consistently fighting, it's like, well, you always do this and then I always do that and then you're never and you're, y'all, oh, oh, and it's like always this problem sitting in between. But if you can somehow stand side by side with your spouse and go, no, I, I wanna compete because I wanna win the full reward with you. Do you see that? In verse seven, he says, keep going so that you may gain the full reward that is yours in Christ. He's on the same team with the church. It's like he's got his arm around him. He says, look, there's this teaching right there. Once you do that, once you say we're on the same team and you put the problem out in front of us, now we can begin to work on the problem rather than fight against one another. And so I don't know who it is in your life. Maybe it's a young person that is walking away from the Lord. Maybe it is a coworker that is driving you crazy because of their politics. I don't know what the situation is, but quit making them the problem Start to see yourself on their side as fellow human beings, uh, co-made in the image of God. Amen? I don't care how they voted last year or a couple years ago. I don't care what their income looks like. I don't care what color their skin is. I don't care. There's no difference that's bigger than the fact that you and I share almost all of our DNA together and we are made in the image of God no matter who we are. So we're on the same side going, okay, well, I know that you think like this, but let's put the problem right here. Uh, look at it. I know you think that's gonna lead you into a fuller, more meaningful life, but I'm just trying to say, I don't think that's leading you anywhere. I know that you're feeling like, maybe it's your kid, maybe it's your grandkid. I know you're feeling like your, your body doesn't fit within your own body, and you feel like you, you should be something different than who you really are. But let, let's talk about why don't you feel accepted the way you are? Why don't you feel loved the way that you are? How can I better communicate my love for you? your value that's not found in the way that you dress or in the things that you do. Do you see that? Do you see how that immediately allows me to put my arm around somebody and say, no, I love you and we're on the same team together. Let's put the problem out here and tackle it out here. That's what John's doing in this letter. He's saying, church, I love you. Dear children, young ones, I'm 80 years old. I've been around the block a few times and then a few other times after those few times. You know what I'm saying? And this is what you're fighting up against. And this is how you're gonna remain. And this is how you're gonna stand fast in the person and work of Jesus. And the third thing that John does, and this is kind of felt like a throwaway point, but I think it's more and more pertinent to us all the time. But the very last line that John has for us, he's like, he writes this little letter. If, if you read about it, he probably, this is a personal letter that he wrote to someone, right? So the first letter was like five chapters long. It probably came in some scroll, probably came from some other guy. This one's like delivered almost like it had your name on it in the mail and it was stamped by John himself, right? And then at the end of the letter, he, he writes this. He's like, I have so much to write to you. Don't you just love that? He's like, I just have so many things I wanna say and I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. I love that this still works in 2023. It's almost like the Bible's living and active. 
sharper than any two-edged sword, right? Because John's like, I have more things that I'm gonna tell you in person. I, I just would humbly submit to you, if you have tough love to give to somebody in your life, don't text them. In fact, I wouldn't even call them. I wouldn't email them. I'd figure out a way to get face-to-face like John's talking. Like John's like, I've got other things that I wanna say, but I wanna sit down face-to-face. If, if, you're, if you're constantly battling the cultural problems of our city and our world by getting and being a keyboard warrior on Facebook, uh, just lovingly, can you please stop? You're not making any progress in that environment, in that space. You're just not. You have this thing that's going on with one of your kids and you're just always texting them or they're always texting you. Can you just, hey, hey, can we put a time out to that? I just wanna sit down and have face-to-face with you. As soon as you share a meal or share a cup of coffee or get down and just sit with somebody, they're gonna feel a lot more human than they used to when you were just talking over some device. And I know this is maybe seems like some problem just for the kids these days, I trust you. I, sometimes I just go into the Facebook comment section just for fun, but it always starts as fun and I just end sad. Right, because there's somebody well like, well, Jesus would say this. And I'm just like, you're right, it's true, but you're wrong in how you're delivering it. It's truth, but it's not love. And it is, it is way harder to sit down and someone look them face to face and forget about the person and the testimony, the story, the ups, the downs of life that they've walked through if you would just sit down face to face. I honestly think if we wanna get really good at tough love, don't rehearse the conversation all the time in the shower. Don't gossip with your neighbor next door about the things that are going on. Don't just always be complaining to your kid or to your spouse or to your kid about your spouse. That's a dangerous place to be. Sit down with the person face to face. Speak the truth. Show them love. We, we can do both. John does both. I, I, it blows my mind that are, there are other things that could have been written in the Bible, but he saved them to be shared face to face. I just couldn't get over that thought this week. It's like, dude, you could have helped us out some more. You could have made that letter a little longer. You could have gave us a little, it probably would have been repetitive arguments anyways. That's how John's been going this entire time, right? But instead of like, instead of giving us some more help in the Bible to be logged in scripture for forever, he's like, ah, inside stuff. I'll tell you later, right? And there's value in that. Sit down with people, share a meal with people, look them in the eyes while you tell them, this thing that you're doing, I think it's dangerous. And I love you enough to tell you that today. I think as we come to the communion table at the end of service today, it's a reminder of tough love that Jesus even had to get us to this point, isn't it? I used a Tim Keller quote last week. I'll use another one this week. He was that awesome. We can use him multiple weeks in a row. In a row. He says, the gospel is this. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. That's tough. That's tough and it's true. It's not, the Bible is not some story about how you are not as bad as you thought you were. Amen to that? It's that you were way more dead than you thought you were. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2. It's not that we're less sinful. It's that we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. This is, this is the beginning of the good news. This is the tough side. But on the love side, it says, and yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's the truth of who Jesus is, is that the bad news is really bad. There was no way that you could ever reconcile your own relationship to God. But the good news is that Jesus loved you way more than you could ever imagine even today. I think part of the reason we're gonna have eternity in heaven is just to keep on exploring the facets of his love for us. And that's all demonstrated in communion.
that we don't come to communion lightly. We don't come to it flippantly. We don't come to it kind of with our brains half in check. We should remember this moment exists because we were way worse off than we thought we were. But this moment also exists because we're way more loved than we think we are. Not imagine, I, there's some of you sitting in the church today. You get the sin side. You need to sit in the love side a little bit. There's other, others of you, you're so happy about the love side and maybe you're neglecting the sinful side that needs to be addressed. It's tough love. It's love and truth held in tandem together. And that's what communion is gonna be about today. I just invite you as we receive communion, I'm not gonna drive this. You'll grab the communion elements. If you didn't grab them on your way in, I see Deanna's coming by. You can just throw your hand up and we'll get you a cup. Um, my only ask is that you would do this as a believer in Jesus. Um, that, that is an important thing. We're not just physically eating and drinking right now. We are spiritually engaging with a living God that we've been reconciled to, hopefully. But what I want you to do as we take communion today, as we receive communion today, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lead us through it. I want you to kind of go at your own rate. I want you to think about the people in your life who right now need your tough love. If John is writing to people that he maybe has met before, he has some relationship with, but he's also writing to some people he hasn't met before, you have people in your life. They need to hear the truth and they need to hear it from somebody who cares about them, loves them and knows them. And so who are those people today? And I just think it'd be the kindness of the Lord to reveal people that we maybe need to have a conversation with this week. Not send a text, not email, sit down face to face if we can, right? As you pray on that, as you think on that, I also want you just to remember, let's leave that quote up by Tim Keller, Chris, if we can, that you simultaneously were more sinful than you ever thought you were, but you're also more loved than you could ever dream. Sit in that reality today as we receive communion. We're gonna take probably about 10 minutes to sit in communion today. Just take your time. I'll come on up and close this in a few. God, we just thank you. We thank you that even while we were still sinners, you died for us in your deep and great love for us. You gave your body, broke your body, shed your blood so that we could have this relationship, this access to you, God. We're so grateful for who you are and for what you've done. God, I pray that we would look at the people in our life. I pray that even as we just sat in communion a little bit, God, would you have spoken to us who we need to seek out a conversation with, who needs some tough love that's in our life already that we can just be a fragrant offering to. God, we love you and we're thankful for you, thankful for your son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.